the churches, the Muslims buy them and convert them to, to mosques. Yes. So it's a losing battle. And I agree with the, the gentleman here. I agree with him. It's a waste of time. They are destroying Christianity. Now, uh, Lucas Miles is with us. He joins us live here on the telephone. And uh, Dan Perkins, uh, what, 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 what kind of questions here do you have for Lucas? Well, Lucas, I, um, I, I'm trying to remember, uh, I want to say almost a year ago, I wrote a commentary on the power of the Jezebel to destroy the Christian churches. I believe that the the Christian left is nothing more than a front for the Jezebel that's trying to take over our country. And a lot of people don't understand what a Jezebel is and what power and influence they have. But all you have to do is look at the things that the left is saying, and you'll find it in absolute total contradiction to Scripture. And it's because the Jezebels have control of most of the Protestant churches and are getting more and more control of Catholic churches. And they absolutely want to abandon the principles that the Lord gave us, much, as, much like they are trying to get us to abandon the Constitution. Yeah, so when you look at this, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, if you go back, you know, even 10, 20 years, the left seemed to be quite happy with being referred to as the godless party. You know, that, that seemed to be a boast oftentimes. But I think that there has been a wake up that has happened within progressive communities and with progressive politicians and, and leaders recognizing that the left really can't win elections unless they can divide the church vote. And, you know, if, you know, historically, we've already seen the secularization of the Jewish synagogue. And I think now there is a major attempt to, to bring about the secularization of, of the Christian church. And, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, elements of that already within Catholicism. And so what's happening is, you know, essentially, and I talk about this in the book, the, the, the Christian left, is that the left is essentially exchanged, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for this Marxist trinity of, of diversity, inclusion, and social justice. Essentially, they've transformed Jesus from the Savior of the world to the great social organizer. And, and they are really building a whole new, you know, uh, um, form of Christianity, if you can even call it that. I think that that's obviously a misnomer. But, you know, just to use their terminology, they're constructing this, uh, it resembles nothing of biblical, you know, historic Christianity, and it's leading many, many people astray. And that's really, I wrote this book, The Christian Left, as a roadmap to help true believers, you know, really be able to combat these ideas and get back on track. Well, if I might, Jim, uh, uh, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think the secularism, uh, I haven't obviously because of the COVID pandemic, but I've spent a lot of time in Europe over my lifetime. And, and IQ knows that what's happening in the churches in Europe is that people are abandoning them, first of all, because they have to pay a tax to go to the church and they don't want to pay that tax, and they have no relationship with the community of their church. They have no relationship with God. So they have become totally secular, and when we've become totally secular, as we've seen what's happening in Europe, it's all the things I want, all the things I want to do, as opposed to what is good for mankind, what's good for my fellow citizen. And I, I think that at some point in time, that will lose its momentum. And I don't know whether the pandemic is having an impact on not so much people going to church, but the number of people praying today, as opposed to that we're paying, praying a year ago. Um, I hear that more and more people are praying. And I look at the United States, at the protests, it's still going on today about closing the churches. And I'm not saying that they don't exist, but I don't read about them happening in Europe. Do you hear any of that, IQ? 
not as much. By the way, liberation theology, which started in the late 60s and 70s, of which <clears throat> Pope Francis is the best example, the most remarkable thing about all of them, if, in fact, even the churches in England and in Europe, they are more concerned about the welfare of Muslims than they are ever concerned about the welfare of Christianity. That the most persecuted people on planet Earth of the 21st century are Christians by Muslims. And everybody ignores that. Right. Very true. I think that's a great point. And this, you know, I talk about this, this, uh, the concept of liberation theology in the book, you know, it's a, it's a South American uh, sort of Marxist uh, doctrine that infiltrated the Catholic church and, you know, and it's still prevalent today. And even those that aren't, you know, in a per se liberation theology movement have been affected by this because it really took on a new name in the United States. And that was social justice. And so essentially that, um, uh, you know, that there is this great blessing in, in poverty, there's this great blessing and, and kind of, you know, it's really whatever, whatever the, the, the state deems is sort of the in vogue thing to, uh, you know, to focus on at a given time. And, you know, you know, one of the things I talk about in this book is that the, 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 the left talks a lot about the separation of church and state and, and it, it, as if they want that. In reality, the left does not want a separation of church and state. They want a church that is subservient to the state. They are looking for the church to bow down. Instead of being one nation under God, they're looking to have one God underneath the thumb of the nation. And it's, it's, it's a rising problem. You know, New York Times called it a liberal, liberal Christianity. And it is on the move, and I think that people need to educate themselves about it. And that's why, you know, that's why I wrote this book, The Christian Left. What's, what's been the reception to the book? You know what? It's been incredible so far. I mean, so it, it's available for pre-order right now. So it doesn't it doesn't release uh, it doesn't ship until the spring. But we've had kind of a uh, a first round of of influencers and and politicians and and uh, uh, you know um, you know some Hollywood personalities and pastors that have gotten early reads of this. And the response has been incredible. It's actually in pre-orders. It's already hit number one on Amazon in three different categories that it's landed as a bestseller already just in pre-orders alone. So we're super excited about the traction this is making. And I'm actually headed to, uh, uh, to CPAC uh, this, this uh, Friday, uh, hitting up the press room there, doing some more attraction for this. So there's really a movement gathering around this. The people are waking up, I think, to the dangers of progressive Christianity and, and seeing the need for it. So it's, I think the time is, is right. It just really feels like a God-ordained uh, you know, opportunity here to get this out. Is there something going on in the country, in your opinion, that is driving people to respond to what you're saying? I mean, I think that we're seeing, um, I, I think that COVID exposed a lot of things. You know, I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not somebody, I'm not a, you know, a COVID denier or anything like that. I think it's a real virus, I, you know, and I won't get into all the, you know, the political, you know, differences of that. But I think that the, the year of shutdown for most of the country exposed a lot of things. I think people that were looking for a reason to maybe ignore their faith or not go to church found one. And I think people that were um, that were concerned about the country had even more reason to have to be concerned about the country. And they went down on their knees praying for this nation. And, and I do believe that there are some revivals that are happening. I'm seeing, you know, within the Protestant church, within the Catholic church, in different places, people are rising up and they're recognizing that we need the Lord. We can't do it with this without him. And I think people are returning to a biblical Christianity, but it's not without opposition. And more than ever, we're seeing, you know, leftism. You know, within the church, it used to always it, it, it lived so long. It was isolated in these academic circles. You know, so you'd have professors at, at university or at, at theological seminaries, you know, boasting that by the time you're done with my class, you're going to be an atheist. But that that trickled from the professor to the pastor, and now it's trickled into the pew. And so, you know, you have churches, even sometimes people that vote right have still embraced leftist ideas of God. And so it really requires a lot of sorting through. And, you know, so the book is, is a deep dive into uh, church history, uh, politics, pop culture, you know, to really expose what's happening within the left and their attempt to hijack and, and sort of take over the church and really equipping the believer, you know, so they can stand up against that, you know, uh, uh, through, through going through this resource. Not too far away from where Jim lives and broadcast. 
the Archbishop of the city of the Diocese of Kansas City, after Joe Biden agreed to send our tax dollars overseas to do abortions on foreign women, said that he believed that Joe Biden should no longer call himself a devout Catholic. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm I'm from South Bend, Indiana. University of Notre Dame's there. I mean, I'm not Catholic myself, but South Bend is probably one of the most Catholic cities in the country, with the exception of Boston. And I'm hearing that from a lot of people. I actually was speaking to, uh, you know, somebody who's fairly high up within uh, the Catholic diocese, you know, here recently that was kind of uttering very similar sentiments to that. And and I think that, you know, uh, what we're seeing is we're seeing somebody. I'm not going to question anyone's salvation. I don't think that that's my job. But we do, we are seeing the Biden administration go against, um, uh, you know, uh, core tenets of the Catholic Church and, and really with, with seeming no regard, you know, they're just no care, no regard about it. And they seem very comfortable with that. They're actually trying, it almost seems to kind of rewrite what it means to be a Christian. And I think that this, this is causing people to wake up. I think it is attractive to some that are looking for a more, uh, you know, this, this sort of halfway house between uh, Christianity and, and progressive thought. Uh, they're finding that within the Christian left. Uh, but I think it's mistaken, and I think it's, it's really leading people astray. The state legislature of New York about a year ago approved legislation for post-birth abortion. post birth abortion and I, I was amazed that they got such support in both houses in uh, in the state legislature that we would we would allow a child to be born and say they weren't born and they still could be euthanized and it would be a post-birth abortion that's that's an example of the infiltration of the radical left to the Christian church that killing, killing, a, killing a baby after it's born is now called post-birth abortion. Yeah. Look, where, where I come from, post-birth abortion just is called murder. And yeah. I think that, you know, we kind of have to call it what it is. And see, this is a tactic of the left is they're really, uh, they're really hijacking language and sort of changing definitions and changing, you know, uh, um, some of the, uh, some of the vernacular to, to make things, you know, uh, um, you know, appeal more to the masses. You know, one of the things I talk about this, I talk about in this book, The Christian Left, is that, you know, you see, if you look at um, the, there was a thing within Nazi Germany during World War II that they called positive Christianity. And this was, this was really led by um, certain religious um, uh, uh, people within the Nazi uh, regime. And what they did is they actually used in order to kind of project their message. And so they, they switched out the cross for the swastika. They switched out the Bible for Mein Kampf. And, and they really began kind of changing the dogma and the doctrines of the church to align themselves with this Nazi doctrine. Now, I'm not, I'm, you know, this term Nazi's thrown out, I think, much too uh, easily in today's world. I'm not calling everybody, you know, here that's, that's embracing progressive ideology Nazis, but I'm saying the tactic is the same. And so we need to wake up to this because the church was deceived during World War II in Europe. And I think that's a big reason why there's been a vacuum, you know, within, uh, within Europe for so long and so much atheism and, and, and so, you know, many empty churches. And I think we need to keep here in America to make sure that doesn't happen to us. We do that by returning to historic biblical Christianity, you know, orthodox Christian beliefs, you know, and, and I have a pretty wide view of what is orthodoxy. I think that there's some, some room for different denominations and different viewpoints, but those viewpoints cannot go against Scripture. They cannot reduce the lordship of Jesus. They cannot, you know, uh, ignore things like repentance and, and heaven and hell. And we have to make sure that we are holding on to really what does it truly mean to be a Christian? But if um, I hope you're right, but I, I have to ask the question: If we have my children's generation are not continuing their Christian value situation, they certainly are not importing it to their children, my grandchildren. Yeah. And wh where does the moral compass come from if it doesn't? If, if the parents aren't raising the children under the 
a model of right and wrong and Christian values. Where does it come from if they're not doing it? How do we create so another generation? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair question, and I think it is a legitimate uh, a le- legitimate danger, you know, for for this uh, for this generation that's that's coming up. And you know, when you look at this, a couple things. You know, first of all, we've been here before in history. You know, you could trace back even during the Reformation. There was a time when uh, there was actually um, there was basically a Christian red light district in in um, in Austria um, because they embraced this grace message so strongly that they they just thought it meant that you could do whatever you wanted and God still loved you. And, and they you know they just kind of totally discounted every other teaching of Scripture uh, and just elevated kind of overemphasized certain aspects of freedom. And so, you know, the church has had times where it's entered into some really bad deception. And so these are some things that I've traced in this book. And I think there is a roadmap to coming back to some sort of moral center. Um, but it, it really requires, I think, us for us to wake up right now um, to begin to take steps in that direction. Otherwise, there is a danger that this next generation, you know, really forgets this moral compass and, and even more than that, forgets Christ. Uh, but, you know, the beautiful thing about the church is it always has a way of rising up. Uh, yes, Jesus said when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Uh, there's a chance that he's going to come and not necessarily find a whole lot of it. But as far as I can do my part, you know, and through this work and through resources like this, I want to help bring people back to really what it means to be a church. Isn't there a fundamental difference, however, uh, that's taking place in our world society? And that is that we have clearly about a third of the total population of the world is Muslim. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a there is a, a hatred of Christians by Muslims. And as they continue to grow and expand to be a larger and larger part of the population and the leadership and the governance around the world, how do you overcome that? So I think that, first of all, Christians have to become, you know, we have to take very seriously this love of Christ. And, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, I've been to 20, almost 25 different countries. Uh, I've spent some time in some pretty crazy parts of the world uh, and, and preached in churches, you know, uh, just about in every continent. The, the thing that, um, that I see is that, you know, we have to really start understanding what, what true love is. And I believe that true love, the way that Jesus defined it, is full of grace and truth. And what, what the left has done is they've really removed the truth portion of love, and they've tried just to define it with this, this idea of acceptance or, uh, you know, inclusion. But the true gospel also brings truth. And, you know, when, when you look at, you know, what's happening around the world, the rise of radical Islam, some of these different things that are taking place, I think the church needs to be first in line to speak up in situations uh, to really show our character. You know, by some of what's happened with some of the persecuted, you know, Muslim groups in China, you know, the church should be there speaking out against that. We need Christian leaders that are saying that's wrong. If we want people to stand up when, when Christians are being persecuted and take note, I think we should stand up when other people are being persecuted and say that that's wrong, regardless of their faith, regardless of their religious background. I think too many Christians are silent on that. And, you know, I know, I know some guys are doing some really great ministry reaching out to to Islamic communities, not with some sort of message of universalism. See, the left wants to bring universalism. Universalism is not the gospel, this idea that everybody stayed, that all these roads that's a dangerous message. So, you know, in yes. this book, I really try to bring people back to the true gospel and show them a way that they can lead people to the Lord, whether it is, whether they're Muslim, whether they're atheists, or whether they're just caught up in progressive Christianity, that we can get them to come back, you know, out of grace and We have got a uh, great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. We are going to take a uh, brief time out. And uh, when we come back, we have got more coming up with Dan Perkins, IQL Rizzoli. Uh, Lucas, before we let you go, how do we get in touch with you online, my friend? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty easy to find on social media. You can hit me up on, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, or Instagram. I'm typically at either at Lucas Miles or at MR Lucas Miles, at Mr. Lucas Miles. And, of course, check out the book on Amazon, Christian Books. Uh, dot com or Barnes and Noble. It's called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. 
currently number one on Amazon in a couple different categories, I believe. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yes, we, we really appreciate, appreciate the time. And uh, we will talk to Dan and IQ after the break. And Lucas, I will be in touch, my friend. It's a great book, and I'd love to have you on again. Absolutely. I'm all for it. Blessings, guys. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be back here in just a few. Uh, we are going to try to get a hold of Ari Hoffman here real quick and see uh, see if we can get Ari Hoffman in here. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. If it doesn't, we will uh, just take a break. And I don't think it's going to happen, so we would just take a break. Uh, I don't know what was going on with Dan. I don't know where he was. I don't know if he was walking through some bushes. I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> that was about to drive me insane. And I know if it's going to drive me insane, it's going to drive you insane. We've got more coming up on the other side. Mark Mix on the way here on iHeartRadio. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some important news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from television host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we are about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-378-8005 now and you'll receive a free copy of Josh Milberg's book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies Revealed. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of The Number One Mistakes Retirees Are Making With Their Investments Today and a free DVD on how you can get up to 33% more income in retirement. Call 800-378-8005. That's 800-378-8005. Employees of J.D. Milberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-913-8914. That's 800-913-8914. 800-913-8914. Are you getting the most out of your Medicare plan? Are you sure? You'll want to write down a very important phone number that can assure you're receiving your full benefits. Many people with Medicare are eligible for plans that include extra benefits, in addition to those found in original Medicare. Benefits like dental, vision, and prescription drug coverage. Call now at 1-800-521-7617 to see if you're eligible to enroll. The consultation is free and there's no obligation to enroll. In addition to hospital and medical coverage at no extra cost, you can also get coverage for prescription drugs, dental, hearing, vision, and more. In many areas, Plans with benefits are available with $0 co-pays for many services, $0 monthly premiums, or $0 deductibles. That's hospital, medical, prescription drug, dental coverage, and more included in one plan with premiums that may be as low as $0 a month. Call now to see if you're eligible to enroll. The consultation is free and there's no obligation to enroll. Call 1-800-521-7617. That's 1-800-521-7617. Moving can be one of the most stressful things you'll ever do. And at Moving APT, we specialize in taking the stress and strain out of your move. Whether you have a one-bedroom apartment or a 10-bedroom mansion, you can feel safe and confident that Moving APT will get the job done. On time, hassle-free, and at the guaranteed lowest price. That's right, we will meet or beat any quote. That's our price match guarantee. At Moving APT, we never sacrifice quality or service. 
Licensed, bonded, and insured, you always get the best price. So if you're planning an out-of-state move within the next 30 to 60 days and you need a full-service moving company, you owe it to yourself to give us a call. We do it all, packing all your belongings, moving and unpacking. Leave the stress and strain behind and call Moving APT, America's number one interstate movers, now. For a free quote, give us a call. 800-209-9350 Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-913-8914. That's 800-913-8914, 800-913-8914. How about a little jig in your DNA? This is the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network. Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network. Jaguar Radio Network. Back to the Jiggy Jaguar Show on the network. Yes, indeed. We are back live here on our world-famous Jiggy Jaguar Radio program. We are going to go ahead and get a hold of Mark Mix. He is going to join us here in just a few moments. I'm going to go get rid of, and I'm going to go ahead and dial up IQ Alvarezoli and Dan Perkins, and we will get back we, into here. Consider and, me uh, as an infidel. I think we've... Feature. There's Jim. <laughs> there, ah, we here Jim. <laughs> there we are. There we are. I missed a great part. <laughs> I always do. I always do. It, another show without you. <laughs> it, it, it happens on Sundays from time to time when I have uh, the lovely and talented Samantha and Jay Bird Wells, and I will put them on hold with our guests, and then I miss all sorts of stuff. So uh, it... Uh, <laughs> It it always seems to happen, but uh, so so Dan, what what, what did you uh, what did you make of our of our last guest? He was uh, he he had a great book and he was well spoken. Well, when you got when you have a book that is number one bestseller and hasn't actually been brought out, it's based on people buying it in advance in three categories. There's a message there that's resounding with people, clearly. Yes. Um, I think I really believe that um, the left, I, I don't want to say they've gone too far because they don't know what too far is. But, <laughs> but I do think that uh, IQ and I were talking about during the pandemic, two things were going on. The Catholic schools and the charter schools were open. Mark Mix. Hey, Mark. How are you, my friend? Go, 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 uh, go, go ahead and finish your point there, Dan, and then we'll get our guest in here. And I think p- parents yeah. were taking their children out of the public school, the distance learning stuff, and sending them to the, the charter schools and the Christian schools. And uh, some will go back when the schools open, if they ever do. But yeah. I think a lot, a lot have looked at the difference of what's being taught in the schools and are more more satisfied with with charter schools and Christian schools. Well, uh, we have got a great guest to uh, kick off our second half of our big broadcast here. What will be the final tally of union jobs killed after one month as, uh, as president as uh, Joe Biden, uh, or as the great Rush Limbaugh used to refer to him as Joe Bite Me? Um, he. Uh, <laughs> President, yes. President Joe Biden. President Joe Biden. That's right. And um, so, 
We have got a right to work expert with us today. The great Mark Mix is with us. He's the president of the National Right to Work Committee, which is a 2.8 million member public policy organization. He also serves as the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. And uh, Mark, this whole thing with the Biden administration, you know, I honestly thought that the minute Joe Biden was going to get in there, if you've listened to, to you, you listen to talk radio, you listen to all these people, he was going to give everybody free everything and this was going to be the the great reset was coming oh my god i don't know how the hell we're going to do it with 600 checks but um now it's like obama's third term uh we're not really doing anything and it's just basically he's being a good little manager uh but one thing that he is doing is he's going after all these uh union jobs and all these other things what, 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 what do you make of all this, my friend? And then I'll let Dan and IQ jump in and ask you some questions. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about yes. this. It, there's lots to talk about, and your, your question's a good one. How many jobs will be lost in the first uh, you know, month of, of this administration? Well, if you're in the energy business and you're a pipe fitter or you're an operating engineer or you're a member of the building trades, LIUNA, and uh, lots of unions that had, uh, had jobs on the Keystone Pipeline and or were involved in exploration for new uh, natural gas or energy deposits on federal land, you got a free trip to the unemployment line is what you got because President Joe Biden immediately removed the permit for the Keystone Pipeline, uh, which was going through Montana and Nebraska and other states where, interestingly enough, this was a project labor agreement where basically only union companies could do business on uh, or do, do work on this particular project. And yet, the very first day, um, uh, by executive order, by a stroke of a pen, uh, he put these people on the unemployment line. And unfortunately for those rank-and-file workers out there, those union members, their union officials who knew with eyes wide open in this campaign that Joe Biden had said back in May of 2020 that he would do this as soon as he got into office, but yet their unions still endorsed, still endorsed Joe Biden for the presidency. And, and Richard Trumka, the president of the AFL-CIO, cried crocodile tears for a minute or two on HBO saying, you know, I just wish he would have paired it with other job creation. And the notion that governments create jobs, they destroy jobs, that's for sure. We saw that in spades here. But the idea that they would create jobs is another problematic thing. I mean, I guess if government grows, they create jobs. But it's been an interesting time for rank-and-file workers, not for their union officials uh, back here in Washington, but for rank-and-file workers across the country, the Biden administration has been pretty dismal so far. Gentlemen, do me a favor, for God's sake. Do you mind not speaking about him as president? I mean, just call him Joe Biden. Every time they hear, use the word president. Honestly, I can't take it. Just call him Joe Biden. Just call him well, Joe I, Biden. <laughs> he is destroying America. In the first 30 days, he has caused more trouble for America, only to be spiteful of Donald Trump. He's not yes. thinking of American security. He's not thinking of American welfare. He is only being vengeful and spiteful. That's it. Not complicated. Back to you, sir. <laughs> Mark Mix is with us today. He joins us live in our broadcast. And uh, you can get more information on Facebook. He has the National Right to Work Foundation. Search them out on Facebook. Uh, Mark holds a BA in finance from James Madison University, an associate degree in marketing from the State University of New York. Prior to joining the National Right to Work Committee in 1990, Mr. Mix worked for several state-level rights to work groups. He joined the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation in 1990. And he joins us today here on the telephone, along with our good friends IQL Rizzoli and the phenomenal Dan Perkins. And uh, Dan, uh, w w what do you have for Mark? Well, I would ask Mark. Uh, last week, I think we had it was eight hundred and either eight hundred and thirty-six or eight hundred and sixty-three Americans filed for first-time unemployment, and it was up over the previous week, and the previous week was up over the previous week. So that the trend line of, of job losses is accelerating. Uh, you can find the, the Biden administration say that the Keystone Pipeline really only eliminates 150 jobs. You can find Bloomberg, who said between Canada and the United States, it's over 60,000 jobs, which is <laughs> quite a large disparity. But. But we, we, we saw, and I wrote a commentary on this, we saw that 
green energy is not the answer to our energy problems when we saw what happened in Texas when half of the windmills were frozen and the solar panels were iced over and couldn't function. And that was a serious problem. You know, we had the Secretary of Transportation, uh, Mr. Buttigieg, said that we're going to replace those jobs with good-paying union jobs in green energy. And I wanted to say through the television screen when he said that, where and when are they going to come in? Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, why is it that the leadership is so out of touch with the rank and file? Well, Dan, that's a great question, and there, there's not a simple answer to it, but I'll give you the best answer that I can. You know, we at the Legal Defense Foundation, we represent literally thousands of union members and workers every year in cases where un their rights have been violated by union officials. And so we get to know some of these folks. In fact, uh, the chairman of our board is a 43-year uh, a, a school teacher in the California school system, and, and she's been uh, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the unions uh, since she was a, a fresh face in the classroom many, many years ago, and now she's on the school board and and so we get a little bit of a perspective about what these what you know what's happening in the union movement and Dan to your point there is a huge divide between rank and file workers in this country um, and the so-called union officials that represent them. Uh, interestingly enough, the reason is very simple. It's, it's politics. I mean, union officials back in the 1930s during the Roosevelt administration went to government for power. They, they, got, uh, they asked for and got federal power to force workers into associations that they said they either voted against or didn't want to join, and then they got the, uh, the second injustice of, of now that you've taken away your right to represent yourself, uh, you, we're going to force you to pay for that taking as well, uh, and we got forced unionism. And so now union officials and the union movement are basically wards of government action. So they've got to be involved in politics. They've got to be involved in elections. They've got to be involved in who sits in the White House and who is in the Speaker's chair and who's the Senate president and who's at the governor and the state, the Speaker of the House at state level, because their power and their privilege is a direct derivative of government action. They're not out there selling a product to workers anymore. They're using government power to force them into these associations. And then in the 23 states that don't have right to work laws, paying for the injustice of taking away their association. So it's about politics again and, and kind of following the money. That's usually the, the correct uh, uh, answer to a lot of these questions about why do people do what they do. But for rank-and-file workers, uh, as I mentioned, on the Keystone Pipeline and some of our manufacturing uh, opportunities out there that will probably end up overseas again when corporate taxes are raised and regulation is, is put back down on companies, they're going to be losing their jobs too. But that's one of the major reasons. And then the ideological shift too. I mean, you had a AFL-CIO president who was a proud, card-carrying member of the Democratic Socialists of America. I don't think the steel worker in Gary, Indiana, he may not know what that card means, but he certainly doesn't carry one. So, but if you think about what's going on, um, if we look at what has happened in the last 12 months, and you can take this as a rhetorical question, or if you have actual numbers, that would be helpful. I wonder how many union people, regardless of their union, has lost their job over the last 12 months. And then the follow-up, I wonder how many union leaders have lost their jobs over the last 12 months. What would you respond to that? <laughs> well, I, the second part of the question I can answer, I can say at least 12, because there are 12 officials of the United Auto Workers Union that are either in jail or have pled guilty to extortion and racketeering and, and stealing union members' money um, out of their headquarters in Detroit. I mean, the last two international presidents of the United Auto Workers are actually, I think, I think they're both in jail right now. They, they both have pled guilty. Whether they're actually in jail or not is another question. So we do know that those 12 um, have lost their union positions. As to the rank-and-file workers, I don't know the exact number, Dan. It's a great question. I'm sure things are not better today than they were 12 months ago. And so over that period, I suspect that with the lockdowns and with all of the restrictions that governments imposed on states uh, based on COVID, um, that uh, that situation is, is certainly not better. I can say that. Mm. Do you think that, do you know of those 12 men that you just mentioned, not by name, but by, by position. Do you think those 12 men have Teamsters pensions? 
Well, they have UAW. Yeah, they have UAW pensions, I think, or they did. And interestingly enough, that's a great question, Dan, because the the rank and file workers were paying their legal fees too throughout this whole process. So, um, you know, <laughs> they had a pretty sweet deal. Uh, it's not so sweet anymore when after the FBI raided their homes and all that stuff, and and the federal prosecutor uh, up there in Detroit cut a deal. It's interesting enough, the a bunch of rank and file union members just filed a lawsuit against the uh, uh, the decree that was issued by the federal prosecutor and the deal that was made with UAW officials to basically keep them under uh, kind of uh, oversight for the next six years and then to open up their elections. A lot of the rank and file workers are very displeased. And they, I just saw, I think today, within the last hour, that uh, a lawsuit had been filed, or they're certainly asking the judge to take a, a relook at what they tried to do to settle all this and make it go away. So the rank and file workers are standing up. But uh, there's a lot more to it, and and uh, you know what we need to do is get rid of compulsion in the in in our labor policy that comes from the federal government and make unions voluntary. If we do that, then workers can hold them accountable. And once you hold, it's like the bakery down the street. If there's only one bakery in town, it doesn't matter if your croissants are fresh or stale. You have to, if you want a croissant, you have to have that one. Um, and unions have created this monopoly power granted by government that forces you into this collective, and they don't really have to provide great service because they get your money as a condition of your employment. Have you had a chance to look back at any of the numbers as to the unions voting for uh, Mr. Biden, as IQ would say, as opposed to Thank President you. Trump? Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Who is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> so what about I have is the, yeah. the dead, I am the, the worst enemy of Islam. That's why ah. JJ James takes me on his show because he can't say in public from America what I can say. I can get away with murder. He can't. I see. I see. Well, James, James, thanks for having him on. And yes. to come a bit damn back to your question. Um, you know, the poll numbers that you see are anywhere from 40 to 45 percent of, of union households voted for Donald Trump this time. And I think it was 55 percent for uh, for uh, Mr. Biden. And, um, you know, but that's not that's not peculiar. I mean, I think Ronald Reagan got 44% of union vote. Uh, um, uh, George W. Bush got some percentage, a little bit less than Trump. But Donald Trump was a great friend of rank and file workers. I mean, he stood up and he reduced taxes, reduced regulation. He protected Second Amendment rights. He, he, he gave a tax cut. I mean, he brought manufacturing jobs back to the shores of America. Um, those policies um, are now kind of in the dustpan as, as uh, Joe Biden, I think, today announced that we're going to be uh, you know, back in the G7, the trading partners and all this good stuff that he's going to be doing. And basically, it's business as usual as it was under eight years of Obama. When we look at the tremendous recovery that, that Donald Trump brought about in this country, the greatest job boom in the history of this country, more women, more blacks, more children being employed than ever before. I, I, I'm incredibly disappointed the number you gave me that he got about the same amount of union votes as he got considering the shape of the economy when he took over in 2016. He didn't make any progress with all, the, all of the things that had happened from a positive standpoint that he had done for the labor movement and the American worker, uh, he didn't he didn't move the needle. You still had fifty five percent of the union rank and file voting democratic. Ungrateful well, Dan, people deserve what they got now. <laughs> well, Dan, one of the interesting kind of uh, demographics now about the union movement is that there are more government union members in America than there are private sector union members. And so when you think about government, I mean, Donald Trump uh, was a friend of, of the American people, but he wasn't necessarily a friend of government union officials. And, and there's a difference there now. I mean, we have, we've come to the point, once again, where there are more union members in government employment than there are in the private sector. And, and I mean, in, in actual numbers, I'm not talking percentage, I'm talking actual numbers now of union members under the AFL-CIO umbrella and other unions. And so that explains part of it, because generally the people that work in government um, are of a particular ideological persuasion, uh, more so than than you know a, a, an operating engineer or a, or a plumber or a pipe fitter or an electrician or a steel worker um, in the private sector. I think there was growth in that particular segment of of that base, 
But on the government side, I, I you know, uh, we deal with that, the growth of government all the time and what that, uh, what that means for taxpayers and citizens in this country. Do we have, you said, if I heard you correctly, we have more union members that are part of a union for the federal government or governments than we have in the private sector. Did I hear that correctly? That is correct. And so my question is, in the case of government workers who were unionized, did any of them lose their job for the entire year of the pandemic when they weren't going to their offices? <laughs> Your question, again, I think is rhetorical. And the answer, uh, even though I'll answer it, I think no. Um, there was there was some reduction. I mean, you know, here in Fairfax County, Virginia, where I was, when school started, even though the kids weren't there, the bus drivers were still driving their bus routes. I mean, it's just uh, it's been an amazing kind of odyssey that these these last uh, what it last 12 months now. I guess we're we're mm -hmm. in the 12 month anniversary, according to Jill and Joe Biden last night at the White House with their ceremony out there. Mm -hmm. um, and and but no, I mean the the uh, the reduction of of government is probably. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, Dan, but I think I suspect that you uh, would b probably uh, believe to be correct that government didn't shrink during this this pandemic. Um, the private sector certainly did, but I don't believe the government did. At least I haven't seen it. It's amazing when you try in the private sector and you try to call a company and they tell you that they're distance working, uh, we'll have somebody, if there's not anybody available, we'll have somebody call you. You can't even get through to leave a message to the to the U.S. government. I mean, I've been I have been waiting for my original twelve hundred dollar stimulus check, and I can't get a hold of anybody to find out what the hell am I supposed to do. <laughs> and I just saw yesterday a piece of, that came out. Well, if you didn't get your twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks, here's a form you file when you file your income tax to claim credit for it, even though you didn't get it. I mean, it's just. I, I just don't understand. Um, we have this bureaucracy, and uh, and we're paying for this bureaucracy, and yet it's not doing it. It's just like the, the teachers' unions. We, we we pay the teachers to teach, and and now uh, the president is saying that well, schools will be open if we have one day a week with in residence teaching, and. The, the American people are not buying that. So, um, from a from a union perspective, let me let me ask let me change just a little bit and ask you this question: um, What kind of grade would you give the president for the economy and jobs in his first four weeks? I'd I'd have to give him an F. Yet his polling number is up fifty eight percent. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Who did the polling? <laughs> I think it was, yeah. Who did the polling? I, the same I think people it was who Pew. did the polling against Trump. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. I, 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 all I'm saying is that he is, uh, no, it was Rasmussen who's in their daily, presidential daily tracking poll has Biden with an approval rating of 58%. And yeah. um, Well, yeah, and Dan, I mean, one of the reasons for that is is the the establishment media is is basically fawning over him. They can't get over the fact that Jill Biden put up hearts in the White House yard that talked about unity, peace, and love, and and you know it's the, this couple walking hand in hand around the grounds of the White House. I mean, the, the questions that he's getting. I mean, what's the? How are your dogs doing? What are your dogs' names? What? I mean, this is it's it's amazing how the the that institution, the Fourth Estate, or I don't know if they're the fifth the state or the sixth estate now i don't know what they are but needless to say um the only thing we've heard about joe biden and the only thing that he's the only presence that he's had has been totally scripted teleprompted uh loaded questions with the answers already considered i mean he has faced no scrutiny and you, you're starting to see some of the media outlets saying what do you mean you know he's not going to show up and so uh, yeah. I, I no surprise no surprise. I'm sorry. I was hearing some bad. I didn't know if someone was speaking there. No, no, no. no. I didn't say you're, you're, you're good. We've got Mark Mix with us today. National Right to Work Foundation, uh, Dan Perkins, IQL Rizzoli as well. Um, IQ, uh, l listening to all this today, what, 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 what do you have for Mark? Well, that, well, there's not much we can disagree upon. First of all, to call him a president... Joe Biden is an insult <laughs> to presidency. That's to, uh, with this, I'm not going to argue about this. He hasn't done anything. 
the 57% is only by stupid animals who would vote 57% approval rating. The gentleman said F. F is an extraordinary mark for Biden. He's, he looks like a zombie. He talks like a zombie. He doesn't, he doesn't put a few sentences without making a mistake. The guy is in his last few months cognitively. No question. He's talking about, talk, you know, with Iran. The Iranians are laughing. I listen to the news media in Arabic and in the translation of the Farsi language. They are laughing. They know they've got him when they want him. Anybody thinking otherwise? Well, let me, let me ask our guest. Um, yes. You know, uh, last week, two, two afternoons last week, I'm following up what IQ was saying. Last week, two afternoons last week, Biden shut down the White House. There was no business being done. He wasn't going to be available to talk to anybody. Two days, two afternoons. And I'm wondering, um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are of where where do you think his presidency is headed? Well, from our perspective, I mean, it's not good. His, uh, within, within 23 minutes of his swearing in, when the echoes of Garth Brooks singing Amazing Grace were coming back to the inauguration stage on the mall, um, he sent a note to, uh, uh, well, his, his handler sent a note to the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, who had 10 months left on his term, and said, you either resign now or you'll be fired by 5 o'clock. The general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board uh, wrote back quickly saying, I don't think you should be interfering with an independent agency with the top lawyer of an independent agency. This is unprecedented. It's never happened before. Um, I'm not resigning. So he got fired at 5 o'clock. The next morning, his deputy stepped up, and she got the same email in the morning saying, you resign uh, now or be fired by 5. She said, once again, I don't think it's proper that you tinker with this, that you put your own cronies in as the top legal uh, legal mind or the legal prosecutor of uh, or legal counsel of of an independent agency, and she was fired at 5 o'clock. And so then he reaches out to Chicago to get a regional director that comes in and basically starts and, and releases uh, uh, issues and memos rescinding decisions of the board and the general counsel involving five of our cases. Uh, he, he cited ten different things. Five of them were National Right to Work Foundation cases. And, you know, you, one thing you know about uh, being shot at is that you're over the target if you're taking uh, that kind of incoming. And, and we had some several cases. There. So from our perspective, workers in America, um, it's going to be a difficult time for them over the next couple of years. Uh, there's been a bill introduced by Nancy Pelosi in the House to repeal all the right-to-work laws, to force unionization on more workers across the country by this scheme called card check without even allowing workers to vote, per se, on whether or not they want to be in a union, but just getting them to sign a card. Um, we have the federal government potentially imposing contracts on private businesses um, when they can't agree with the union over terms and conditions of employment. Um, these are things that are very, very uh, concerning to us and should be concerning to you know, rank-and-file workers and, and just citizens of the country from an economic standpoint. We expect it will be pretty, um, to use uh, Joe Biden's word, pretty dark going forward. Well, Mark, uh, one of the things that I've always wondered when it comes to unions is because of unions, we have, you know, the, the five-day work week, we have... Uh, no child labor, you know, we have child labor laws. Where, where, did, where did unions go from doing really good things to just craziness? Well, James, I think that going back to the 1930s, and you know, it was it was in 1924 in El Paso, Texas, at the uh, AFL convention, the American Federation of Labor. They hadn't merged with the CIO at that point. Uh, Samuel Gompers, who was uh, known as the father of the American labor movement, in his final address to the AFL convention that year in El Paso, said. The workers of America adhere to voluntary institutions. Anything else will break apart that which together is invincible. And what he meant by that, he knew that delegates from the AFL were interested in going to Washington and trying to get federal, the federal government to give them privileges and power over workers. And Gompers knew that this would really be the kind of this, the, the swan song for a, for a labor movement that he helped build in the country during the industrial age when some of those abuses were happening. 
what I say, James, is there is a place, there was a place for unions back then, there is a place for unions today, and there will be a place in the future, but there's no place for forced unionism. And that's what they're relying on, and that's why you see kind of this craziness inside the union movement. I mean, you see the basically the unaccountability and the, uh, you know, the lack of transparency in the union movement. Um, because they have these special privileges from government. And that's what threw them off the course. I agree with Gompers. I mean, he, he recognized that if workers wanted to join together voluntarily to amplify their voice in the workplace or in politics and, and uh, redressing their government, that was a positive thing. But when you start adding government power and privilege and coercion into it, that's when things start to break down. And, it, you know, it's no surprise that the union movement back in the 1950s was 33, 35 percent of the, of the private sector workforce, and today they're down to 6 percent. Um, we've grown our economy, um, and the unions haven't changed since those days in the 1940s and the 1930s. And, and, um, and so the workers of America, employers are taking better care of workers, and if employers take care of employees, they will not be unionized. That's a, that's a fact. If you, if you lose sight of your employees, then you probably deserve a union, and and that's where the law should protect the right to associate. But it's gone too far, James. We have got Mark Mix with us today, National Right to Work Foundation. We also have Dan Perkins, IQ Rizzoli, and uh, let let's wrap up here. Let's start with IQ. How do we get your books and see your writings and and everything else? Well, my books are on Amazon. Lifting the veil: The True Faces of Muhammad and Islam. Otherwise, just Google my name. Al Rasuli, A L R A S O L I. It was a pleasure listening to you, sir. And uh, Dan Perkins, uh, how do we get your books and uh, give us an update on your nonprofit and everything? Books are available at Amazon.com. It can be ordered through your local bookstore. Um, and uh, the books, the first book series is uh, Brotherhood of the Red Nile. And um, I have a gentleman reading the terrorist perspective, and he wanted to know, why did you write this book? And I said, because the American people needs to understand how mean and nasty these people are and why they want to kill us. And you'll find that out when you read the first book. Um, finish the Lincoln book. I'm speaking with a publisher, James. Wow. Uh, That's uh, awesome. Is looking at it. I'm hoping to hear something this week. I don't have my fingers crossed or uncrossed. I'm just kind of surprised. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, writing a lot of commentary. There's lots of juicy stuff to write about. And um, uh, I'm thinking about and talking to some people about doing a television show. Wow. But I, but I don't know that I got the time to do a television show. And that's what I keep telling them. And they said, oh, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. So I'm, I'm keeping pretty busy. I'm, I'm playing a little golf and spending time with my wife. We got my second COVID shot. No problems with it. But my children who got it have really had a, been it's been very painful for them and uh, and uh, other people I've been talking to. So it's amazing. And um, uh, I'm as busy as I've ever been in my entire life and enjoying every moment of, of it. That's Thank awesome. You. That's awesome. Well, Mark Mix, uh, before we let you go, how do we get in touch with you on the Web and, and everything else? Well, James, I don't have any books, and I don't have a TV show, and uh, I'm just kind of fighting for freedom. And uh, and I know Dan is, too, and I do as well, and you are, too, so thank you. But you can find us on the amazing World Wide Web at uh, www.nrtw.org, nrtw.org. And that website will link you to our committee website and other sites that give you information about what your rights are across the country in the in the workplace and, and how you can help and, and how you can be involved in it. There's uh, on our committee website the nrtwc.org you can find out legislation in your state that has an impact on on america's workplaces and so that's where you can find us and we'll we'll thank al gore for that creation can i ask can i make one comment here yes go ahead mr guest let me suggest something for you you can go to soundcloud as i'm there and you can create a podcast for your group that can be broadcast it's really simple to do and it gives you a chance to begin to develop a radio presence and a podcast presence to help spread your message. Go, go take a look at it. SoundCloud.com. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I can be as professional as you guys, but uh, but I'll take a look for sure. Thanks. We like to get our word out for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, 
well mark as always thank you my friend you are uh tremendous thanks for doing this and iq i will talk to you on thursday and dan we will see you next tuesday thank you guys yes, sir. thank you Bye. appreciate it everybody there they thank go you. and uh that is that and uh iq rizzoli dan perkins and the rest of the crew and that is that we are going to uh see you next time if you believe we have gotten a five-star review go do that leave it for us if you're listening to us on the stream it is indeed replay time and if you're listening to us over on uh the old facebook oh the facebook we'll see you next time it is the world famous cheeky jaguar radio broadcast peace 95,000.